0: world's finest podcast episode 72. host the now healthier James Doe and with me is Michael David Sims. Hello sir. My voice is back. That is good. And I shouldn't have any problems with that uh, when we get to like episode three of Savage Time here. (laughs) Yes. So that's all good. So how are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm good. But uh, yeah speaking about your voice when I was editing episode 71 last week oh when we were recording I really didn't notice your voice going out until the very end. Pretty much like right when we were wrapping up the show, and then you and I spoke a little off the air afterwards. But during the editing process, I was like, whoa, you could really start to tell that it was going about midway through the show. <laughs> I felt yeah. so bad
0: for you. <laughs> I couldn't believe I even lasted the whole show. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> even, yeah. even the scritchy, scratchy voice, I can't believe that even lasted. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, but uh, you know, speaking of episode 71, it feels weird doing these two weeks in a row it does. It really does. I mean, I know when we launched the program, our intention was to make it weekly. That quickly didn't happen. No. <laughs> there was even that one point where I had suggested daily. I don't know if you remember that. I um, do. I do I mean, remember that. <laughs> the, the idea behind that, though, was simply, we, you know, of course, this is when, when we were doing BTAS, of course, we would record in one sitting the five episodes, and then I would just run our review of each episode every day. Yeah, that that's how we would have done it. It wouldn't have been like, we would have spoken about five episodes every day. <laughs> but yeah, that also didn't happen. But, uh, you know, then we got in this nice, comfortable, fortnightly schedule, for the most part, but barring, you know, a few delays here and there. So yeah, going back to, at least for these two episodes, going back to a weekly schedule, a little different, a little different. But it's good, it's good. You know, we have to, we gotta stay, you know, we don't have to, but I want to keep us on schedule. Oh, yeah, so if exactly. this is what we have to do, then that's what we have to do, and that's fine. That's fine, yeah. But uh, and I know we were talking about this off the air. We're both quite shocked at the number of emails we received in just the one week's time. Not even one week, because you know it aired very late Wednesday night. Did episode seventy one, and we're recording this very late Monday night. So what is that? Five-ish five ish days. Five days, <laughs> and we've got a slew of emails. So you know what? Let's just let's just get into them. All because, right. yeah, I, you know, I don't have a whole heck of a lot of time to edit this show, so I kind of wanted to be a shorter one, so let's go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, then, first one's from Brian, who writes, uh, he, he uh, is talking about some of the episodes we covered on WP71, says, On Legends, I didn't even think about the Adam being a counterpart to Tom Turbine. I actually saw him as more of a Mr. Terrific homage. Also, I know they're different characters in universes, but it's been mentioned before that punching the Invisible Woman's force fields can some. Uh, Sometimes cause feedback for. So maybe the same thing happened when they were hitting Ray's bubble.
1: Okay, I can buy
0: that, sure. And Night of Shadows, he says, I'm not sure it's fair to compare what Jean did here with what Hawkgirl did in Starcross. For one thing, comparing what Jean did uh, with Jean being manipulated while Hawkgirl did what she did of her own free will. Also, I can't recall correctly, but wasn't it said in Justice League Unlimited in one of those episodes that they had voted to let Hawkgirl stay in the League, she just decided to leave before they could tell her. So if that is the case, I'm sure they would have voted to let Jean stay as well.
1: As it pertains to Hawkgirl, I don't know if we ever found the outcome. Or I should say, found out the outcome of that vote. I know it was split down the middle, and wasn't like the flash, the deciding vote or something.
0: No, no uh, John Stewart was. John was. Okay,
1: that makes more sense from a story standpoint. No, I okay. take that back.
0: I, I was wrong. John recused himself, and Superman was the deciding vote, and he oh. voted to let stay in.
1: Did he? I thought we never found out what the vote was, and she flew, and then she just flew away.
0: No, in the what is it, The episode uh, "Waking the Dead" or something like that, when Solomon Grundy is. Uh, forcefully woken from his grave. Ah, see, I've never
1: seen that one. I don't think I've ever seen that one. Okay, yeah, that's
0: where we find out.
1: Okay, okay, well, pardon me. Then he is right.
0: And finally, he talks about metamorphosis here, saying, uh, metamorpho turning into kryptonite and other substances has another thing wrong with it. It could have changed, but last I knew, metamorpho could only turn into elements or combination of elements found in the human body. Hmm. That I don't know, so I'll take your word for it.
1: Yeah, I can't comment there, because I don't know much about the character, That would make sense. But they never, at least in that episode, I don't know if Metamorpho ever comes back. Does he?
0: Not in a speaking role. He may be in a cameo role in, uh, like, JLU episodes. I don't know. Okay.
1: But what I'm getting at is, you know, to be fair, they never say that in the episode itself. So even though that may be the way it is in the comic books, you know, in the DCAU, it could be different. You know, I'm still not keen on him turning into Kryptonite, but I'm just saying, you know... We can't take the comic book powers and origins to be the same in the DCAU.
0: Next one is from Matthew, who writes, Hi, guys. In response to Christian's uh, question about Hades in Episode 71, no, he is not like that in the comics. I'm by no means a Wonder Woman expert, but as far as I can tell, the Paradise Lost version of Hades is unique to the DCAU. Hippolyta's betrayer in both the pre- and post-crisis continuities is uh, Hercules, or Heracles, there's virtually no reference to Hades in the original Encyclopedia of Comic Book Heroes, Volume 2, Wonder Woman, which covers the character's first 35 years in print. Sure. When George Perez uh, introduced him in Wonder Woman, Volume 2, Number 12, Hades assures Diana thou dost not face an enemy. He does become an enemy in Number Two, Fifteen through 17, but only because uh, she supported Athena's rebellion against his brother Zeus, not because of any enmity towards Hippolyta. I've scoured the admittedly, admittedly incomplete Wonder Woman index at dcuguide.com, and between these two appearances, he seems to have acted mainly as a benign supporting character. Hopefully, if I've gotten anything wrong, a hardcore Wonder fan, uh, Wonder Woman fan will write in with the corrections, or perhaps someone's already written me with more accurate information. <laughs> Sincerely, Matthew. Thank you. I do want to say that I think
1: I saw Cassie, Wonder Girl, having some interactions with him that seemed a little... Dubious on his part, but again, as we've said many, many times, not Wonder Woman. You know, I'm not a Wonder Woman guy. I could be wrong. It could have been a different god that she was talking to, but I'm pretty sure it was Hades.
0: But I don't know. Next one's from Monica, who writes, "Hello, guys. I really enjoyed the last podcast, especially Mike stone synopsis."
1: Whoa, which... whoa, whoa, whoa! You have to read the subject line of that one.
0: Oh, you really want me to? Yeah. <laughs> my daddy took my place.
1: <laughs> what? What? No! No!
0: Yeah, that, that's kind of weird because I figured maybe she would address that in the but no! email subject with some kind of joke or something. But no. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm moving on here, Mike. Please do. I really enjoyed the last podcast, especially Mike Stoner synopsis, which I think takes more time than a normal synopsis. <laughs> anyway, this email is to ask you this: Is this universe uh, in this universe is Wonder Woman a virgin? I'm asking because of Hot Girls Commentary. Don't knock it till you try it, sister. Keep up the good work, Monica. It depends. Uh, yeah.
1: Well, it depends on how you define virgin.
0: Are we going to get into the like the Chasing Amy That's discussion?
1: Here? What I'm saying, you know, are lesbians virgins? And the answer would be no. They're not. Has Wonder Woman had lesbian sex on Themyscira? We don't know. So, mm. the answer to the question is we don't know what she's done with women, but we know at the very least she has never been with a man. So, well, in the Savage Times, she snogs Steve Trevor a couple times, but they never have sex. So I think if you define virginity as intercourse between a man and a woman, then yes, she is. But if your definition of it is a little broader, then maybe not, depending on what she's done on Paradise Island. What, What do you think there, James? Do you think she
0: is? yeah I guess I could have to go with what you're saying there because if you take it from the man woman perspective, yeah she's obviously a virgin, but yeah, I didn't even take into account whatever activity she's participating in in themiscara yep I'll go along with that, okay. Okay, next one is from Mel, who writes, Hey, again, guys. Sadly, I cannot work time to my advantage. I skipped over Batman Beyond and Zeta, having never seen the latter and having little to no interest in the former. Also, I'm an insomniac. Better to listen to podcasts and read than stare at the ceiling all night, right? Yes. Right there with you, sister. Yeah. Uh, As for college, I was at uh, SUNY New Paltz. I'm not sure how much it matters, though, as I'm fairly certain that a specific class isn't being taught anymore. It was a freshman composition class taught by a grad student who I think graduated a couple years before I did. I think a graphic literature course might still be offered occasionally, though I didn't take that one, so I couldn't say how good it is. I'm afraid I don't have anything else uh, of much interest to say other than uh, to agree wholeheartedly with your comments this past episode, especially Legends, which I honestly think might be The best episode of the first season. Best wishes.
1: Legends is good, but, well, we'll talk about the Savage Time later. That's all I'm saying for now. But, yeah, you know, I'd like to know why you have uh, very little interest in Batman Beyond. You know, I could see having not caught the Zeta project. Batman Beyond, you know, yeah, you know, wasn't the best cartoon in the DCAU, but it was still definitely worth watching. At the very least, Return of the Joker was. So, I hope you've at least seen that. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't...
0: Do it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Better yourself as a human being and watch your turn of the Joker. (laughs) Uh, Next one is from Christian who writes, Hey, guys, uh, the phrase hung like a gorilla is at the same end of the spectrum as hung like a mouse. I only know that phrase thanks to Wikipedia. I read Superman Red Sun a month ago after one of you recommended it to another listener, and it was fantastic. I love the book's version of Bizarro, who bears only a passing resemblance to Superman rather than being a pale doppelganger of him, the grinning Russian Batman, and the fact that the story didn't rely on staples of Superman lore such as kryptonite and nobody's notice uh, nobody noticing that Clark Kent is Superman. I listened to Mike and Dan's review of it on Earth2.net, the show, and I agree on the point that the writers built up Hal Jordan a bit too much given how easily Superman dispatches him and the other lanterns. A film adaptation uh, of this book would kick ass, but it would probably have to be marketed, if not made, making Superman out to be the villain in order for it to make a profit in the U.S. What do you guys think? See, it would
1: absolutely fail if they did that because the whole point is that Superman is Superman is Superman. You know, he is still, you know, it, you know, it's not truth, justice in the American way for him in Red Sun, but it's still truth, justice and saving the world. You know, there's a very excellent scene early on in that book where Superman, you know, he's he's living in Russia, as he, as he is, but he zips over to Metropolis to stop, uh, is it a speeding train or is, or no, no, he stops a, a satellite, I think like one of the Sputniks from destroying metropolis you know so that shows you that he's still a good guy just because he's a quote-unquote dirty commie you know as like the lex luthor character and well as lex luthor sees him in that story doesn't make him a villain at all so i think if they were to do that yeah it just wouldn't work i really would like to see them adapt that for one of those uh, dc uh universe direct-to-dvd animations I think it's, it would be really, really good. As a big screen thing, no, no. I, I think it would confuse too many people. Why is Superman a commie? But <laughs> it, in the direct to DVD format, I think it would work very well. Excellent. Excellently, yeah.
0: Uh, ends the email here asking, uh, also, why are episodes 51 and 66 of, or episodes 51 through 66 not labeled as explicit on iTunes like the other episodes of WP? I'm not a prude. I just think that this is odd given that these episodes include Mike's livid and entirely justified rant about toys in the hood.
1: They have the explicit tag next to them for me, so I don't know why it's not showing up for you. I really don't, yeah.
0: All right, next one's from Patrick, who writes, Dear Mike and James, I heard you talk about a better Superman video game since the angry video game nerd was right about the old Superman games they released years ago. I'm talking about you, Superman 64. <laughs> I like. I would like to see a good Superman game interacting with the whole DCU uh, rather than just Metropolis. The Justice League could have small roles, and would- and I'd like to see General Zod as the main villain. Now that Disney has bought Marvel Comics, what do you guys think will happen? Uh, I did like what Boom did to Pixar and the Muppets in their comic book forms, and I'd like to see old Disney shows like Darkwing, Duck, uh, Gummy Bears, and Gargoyles make comic comebacks, and newer Disney shows like Impossible, The Replacements, and Phineas and Ferb get the comic treatment. I don't want to see Hannah Montana comic because I'm not that type of fan. Yes, Mike and Dez, there was a Superman Bugs Bunny comic years ago. It's not in trade paperback, but you could try torrents to find it. I like your Justice League reviews, and I can't wait to see what you think of JLU. Patrick. <laughs>
1: Well, I don't know if you've listened to it. It sounds like you might have, because he referenced me and Dez there, right? Yeah. Yeah. But go listen to earth at the show, 339. In that one, Dez and I had about an hour-long conversation about what we thought would happen to Marvel, thanks to it being bought up by Disney. So, yeah, just... Just go listen to that. You'll, you'll get our thoughts there. And I want to say, I think there is a Gargoyles comic right now. I don't know if it... I know at least there was one about a year back. I don't know if it's still ongoing, though. I don't remember who was doing it, but someone was doing a Gargoyles comic, yeah.
0: All right, next one's from Mark, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, I just finished listening to episode 71, and I have some quick comments. In reference to the Black Siren not having a siren scream, The Golden Age Black Canary did not have a canary cry. The Golden Age Black Canary was just a kick-ass fighter who looked damn good in fishnets, like mother, (laughs) like daughter. As far as the gravestones, I think an argument can be made that since the surrounding undamaged city was a manifestation of Ray's powers, the graves could have been a manifestation created by his subconscious to give the heroes he idolized the proper burial they deserved, since likely there was little left of them after the immediate devastation, and others would have been too busy just trying to survive. Keep up the good work, and I can't wait to hear your comments on the Savage Time
1: okay i can buy that sure but then the question remains why put it in their backyard (laughs) yeah because it was like on the hill behind the brownstone wasn't it
0: yeah it was very close to their their headquarters i believe yeah put it on the moon or something you know
1: (laughs) i don't know yeah i mean like i said I'll, i'll 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 buy what you're selling i just can't go full in with it really just because of its placement
0: Next one is from Tom DJ, whose subject line of this email says it was Bob Hope, guys. Yes it
1: was. That's who I thought the sports guy, whatever his name was. Sportsmaster. Right, looked like. I remembered it like pretty much as soon as James and I stopped recording, and then you know, I probably forgot to go mention it at the forums, and I think James, you mentioned it at the forums, didn't you? Yeah. And then I was like, yes, yes, that's it. And then Tom's email came in around that same time, too. So, yes, yes, Tom. Thank you.
0: We should have put it together when he was holding the golf club. (laughs) Gentlemen, after listening to the latest world's finest podcast, I have a number of statements. Number one, a Superman video game. Okay, I will cop to liking the game that followed the death slash reign of Superman, of the Superman storyline up to a point, but there is room for improvement. However, I think the idea of a new gods guest starring Superman game is silly. Even if it wasn't, the idea is unwise with the Kirby kids feeling all suey and stuff. Here's what I would do: begin it on Earth with Supes fighting generic thugs, with some na- some of the name baddies like Parasite thrown in. Then, at the end of the level one, our hero meets Lobo. Lobo is our first boss fight, and brings Supes to Warworld, which leads to all sorts of wacky adventures featuring the Man of Steel beating a Mongol, Brainiac, Bizarro, and others on different worlds. I think this would draw more on the Superman legacy rather than grafting him onto a set of char- another set of characters. Uh, Number two, about legends. This, along with Savage Time, is my favorite of the first season of Justice League. Apparently there were rights issues that prevented the Tim team from using the Golden Age versions. And yes, the Golden Age Black Henry was just a blonde who beat up on guys while wearing fishnets. No sonic attack. And the sportsman was obviously patterned after Bob Hope, down to the fact that they used SCTV alum uh, alum Dave Thomas to do his pitch-perfect Hope impersonation. I also like to think that the Music Master was based on comedian Danny Kaye, but that's just me, I suspect. Number three, about metamorpho. Maybe it's because Dave Thomas was on my mind after hearing your dissection of legends, but Mike's run-through of this plot kept reminding me of the McKenzie brothers, played by Thomas and Rick Moranis on SCTV, and in the cult film Strange Brew. I don't get the love affair some people have with metamorpho myself. To me, he was an example of 60s DCs trying to come up with an answer to Marvel and just not understanding the question. Being created by Bob Haney, who lived in a world where Batman and Superman had kids, the Teen Titans spoke in a slang as impenetrable as hieroglyph- uh, hieroglyphics, and Wildcat lived on Earth-1, probably didn't help. He always, to me, had the most perverse setup of all, all the DC heroes, with the obvious incestuous in- interest Simon Stagg had in his daughter, the goofy caveman henchman, and the way in the comics no one made any comments on how stupid it was for Rex to look uh, walk around looking like that, although I seem to recall there being a mask that made him look normal uh, sometimes involved. But at least we never got the live-action Metamorpho series that had gone to pilot in the 60s during the height of Batmania, or an appearance by the even sillier Ultra Ultra the Multi-Alien in the DCAU. I've actually considered doing some Metamorpho comics just to show how out-of-touch DC was during the Silver Age once I'm done with Green Lantern in DJ Comics Cavalcade. But then that would require me reading some Metamorpho comics, and well, I don't want to. Can't wait to see what you make of the Savage Time. As it pertains to the Kirby kids being all Suey, as
1: as Tom said there, I wouldn't worry about it too much when it comes to a Superman video game using them, because, you know, they were created in the 70s, and right now the Kirby kids are going after the characters that Kirby created in the 30s and 40s for Marvel because they're um, copyrights are are not are coming up very soon, and it'll be a long, long time before his new god characters do, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't worry about that aspect, I see what you're saying about, you know, not grafting Superman onto all these other characters, but the new gods were born out of Jimmy Olsen, it would still work for me, but I like your idea of having Lobo be the first boss fight, and, you know, maybe having that go to War World, <clears throat> Yeah, okay, let's continue the emails.
0: (laughs) Next one's from Joseph, who writes, Hey guys, thanks for another uh, batch of good episodes. When I first saw War World, I I asked myself, is it me or villains always getting ratings for events like Running Man or Death Race and (laughs) often wonder, what's next? Put Batman against a race car driving alien in the Death Race ripoff? (laughs) And I also heard that there will be a movie of Green Lantern coming out in 2011. Ryan Reynolds uh, from X-Men Origins Wolverine will play Hal Jordan. What do you guys think? Thanks, and keep up the good work.
1: I think Ryan's a little too young. My opinion is that Hale should look like he's in, well, and should be, not just look. I don't know why I really stressed look there. Should be in his late 30s. You know, he's a test pilot. He's been around the block. And Ryan Reynolds looks a little too young. I don't know what his actual age is, but I just feel he's a little too young for the part. But, you know, we'll see how he plays it. I'm willing to wait and see. Uh, Hopefully, DC is going to put a whole ton of money behind this. When I say DC, I mean Warner Brothers, pardon me. And it will look as good as and be as good as the Iron Man feature film. Because that's really what DC's going for here. They're trying to take a character that some people know, thanks to various cartoons and whatnot, but isn't really like a household name, like your Superman, your Batman, and your Wonder Woman, or even like a Robin-type character. Robin-type character, like Robin in general, I don't know. Okay, I'm mixing this all up. But the point is, you know, (laughs) to to the general public that knows about him, he's maybe a B-level character. You know, that's the non-comic reading public, I mean. And to most other people, they don't even know who this guy is. So they're taking a big chance, just like Marvel did with Iron Man, by giving him his own film right out of the gate, not starring him in, you know, like a Justice League film and then spinning him off. And if it does well for DC and Warner Brothers, I'll be very happy, because that that means it's good for the comic book and even the uh, movie industry, especially the comic book movie industry. And, uh, yeah, I... I just I just really hope it's it's a good picture. The only thing I'm worried about more than Ryan Reynolds' age is how are the effects going to look? Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to have a guy flying around in a giant tin can. You can make that look good. But can you make the green glowy fist and hammers and golf clubs and even if it's just ray beams if they just kind of go cuz like in this early season of the Justice League, John's not really doing making any constructs. It's just ray beams, for the most part, and maybe, like, bubbles and shields and stuff like that. And once he starts getting into the sillier aspect, you know, baseball gloves and stuff like that, well, it works in a cartoon, but will that fly on the big screen? Or will most moviegoers roll their eyes? That could really turn a lot of people off. It really could. I think a lot of people are going to have a hard time getting over it, so we'll see how they handle that.
0: P.S. When I was working at the theater, I saw, saw movie posters of the movie The Wolfman and Tron Legacy in 3D. What do you guys think of the Wolfman movie and the sequel to Tron?
1: Sequel to Tron? Awesome! Uh, I'm just sad that we have to wait until December to get it. Uh, I don't want to wait another fucking year. The Wolfman? I'll probably wait till it's on DVD. I mean, it, it looks like it has a good cast. The trailer looks interesting. But I'm not like an, oh my god, Wolfman fan. So, what about you, James?
0: I probably will end up going to see Wolfman. In theaters, just because I'll probably tag along with my friends who want to see it more than I do. But I like Benicio Del Toro a lot, so, uh, yeah, I'd probably see it.
1: Okay, what about Tron?
0: I don't know, honestly. I haven't seen Tron in probably 17, 18 years.
1: Yeah, what I find really interesting about this new Tron film is that it is a sequel. It's not a remake. You know, I mean, they're making a sequel to a cult film. A lot of people have never even heard of Tron. You know, it's it's this film where seriously, if you ask someone about it, oftentimes like non-geeks, you know, geeks know of Tron, but you, you just ask the average moviegoer like about if they've seen Tron, and they'll just stare at you blankly, like, "Huh? What? Huh?" You know? <laughs> they just don't know of it. So I I really think um, it's good of Disney to instead of remaking it, doing a sequel to it, and saying, you know what, the 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 loyal fans they've been calling on us to do this for years let's do this for them and they're putting big big money behind it and the trailers look good and i like the fact that uh daft punk is is doing the soundtrack that it it should be solid definitely should be solid next one's from
0: brian or hello mike and james i like many other listeners found this podcast much later than i wish i had and i'm going back and listening to every episode from the beginning having recently listened to the episode featuring holiday nights I was wondering if anybody saw the misspelling of Mayfields as Mayfides as hmm. on the sign on top of the counter where Barbara is buying the cliche father gift, a tie. Anyway, I just love e- about, I love just about every aspect of the show and has become a regular on the podcast roster on my iPod. Thanks again for a great show.
1: Did you notice that, James? I can't say if I did or
0: didn't. I can't even remember. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll
1: say yes, no, I don't know. <laughs>
0: Yes, no, maybe so.
1: Yeah, circle one of those. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one's from Reese, who writes, Dear Mike and James, I was sorry to hear that this podcast was delayed, but happy that we get two in two weeks. The episode that you were, uh, were reviewing called Fury is a favorite of mine because it showed how Wonder Woman and Hawkgirl can function well uh, without the male leaguer's help. I loved your review of War World, and I have to be honest, that was the worst episode of Justice League that comes to mind right now. It was just terrible. You brought up some good points about the animation flubs in Brave and the Bold, so I watched it, uh, if for nothing else, just to catch them. I have now realized that most early Justice League episodes seem to feature one hero above the others and bring in the others for backup. For example, Paradise Lost was clearly a uh, Wonder Woman episode, and War World was for Superman. I am of the opinion that Fury is a Wonder Woman story in a way because they do fight an Amazon renegade, so my question to you is, do you think Wonder Woman is getting an episode focused on her again too soon? Good luck with the podcast.
1: Yeah, maybe, because I don't think we've had a Flash-centric episode, have we? No, not yet. And have we had a Hawkgirl-centric episode? Uh, No. So, yeah, I do think so. I definitely think so.
0: All right. Uh, Last one it is from Patrick, who writes... Uh Mike and James I would j- like to say that I liked the Wonder Woman Directive uh DVD movie but I liked it uh I would have liked it better if they referenced the classic Linda Carter TV series with Wonder Woman spinning around to change or Linda Carter doing a voice camp uh cameo voice I still like your DCAU reviews and I have some questions do you think Bruce Timm and Paul Dini would do something else comic based outside the DCAU if so what are your thoughts
1: Hmm Let's see, what would I like them to do? Comic-based outside of the DCAU. Wow, I wish I would have read this email ahead of time so I could have seemed prepared. I would like to see them, you know, based, okay, yeah, based off what they did here in the Savage Time with Sergeant Rock and Easy Company, which we didn't get a ton of, but enough, I'd like to see them do something with maybe S.H.I.E.L.D., To focus on Nick Fury, or even go back to Fury's uh, World War II days with the Howling Commandos, I would like to see them maybe do something with the Silver Surfer, like a directed DVD story about the coming of Galactus, uh, Fantastic Four. I think that was 48, 49, and 50 from back in the 60s. I'd like to see them try their hand at a Spider-Man cartoon. I know there's been a 1,001 Spider-Man cartoons, but I'd like to see it done uh, with their voice, with their style. Um, pardon me wants to say like the Avengers or the x men, but mm, no, no, I'm not gonna oh you know what maybe some doctor Strange stuff too that'd be kinda neat. What about you, James what are you thinking?
0: I'd like for them to have well are we- ta- we're talking about cartoons here, correct yeah, yeah um I would love for them to have a new Batman cartoon with uh Oracle and Cassandra Kane and I would say, I guess if we're going into Marvel, I would like to see them tackle an X Men cartoon. Okay. I think they could definitely uh, do a really good, a good universe with a, a uh, you know, a solid continuity because we've already seen they can do it here. But really, that's all I can think of right off the top of my head here. I've been reading the recent Batman comics lately, and what do you think of spoiler being the new Batgirl? I have no idea because I assumed uh, uh, what's her face uh, was dead. <laughs>
2: Oh, spoiler.
0: Was, yeah, didn't she die? I, I This is how out of touch I am with comics nowadays.
1: Well, in a very lame attempt to redeem Dr. Um, oh, shit, I just lost her name. Tom Tompkins?
0: Oh, Leslie Tompkins. Well, yeah. yeah.
1: In a lame attempt to redeem her, it was revealed that... <laughs> uh, shit, I just lost her name. Stephanie. Stephanie Brown. Sh- she didn't let Stephanie die... Instead, she hid her away from Batman. So, yeah, I don't fucking know. It was stupid. It was a, It was stupid what they did to Leslie, and it was stupid how they brought Spoiler back to life. Um, what do I think of her being Batgirl? I've only read the first issue of that new series. I was not keen on it. I do like the new costume she's sporting. It's, you know, it pays tribute to the Barbara Gordon costume, but it's different. It's its own thing, and that's good. I like the spoiler character from what I've read of her in Robin, but again, as Batgirl, again, I've only read that first issue, so I just can't comment. You know, if I'm talking about the idea of her being Batgirl... You know, sure, why not? In the DC Universe, over in the Batman corner, it seems like they're graduating all of the characters right now to new roles. You know, Spoiler became Batgirl. Tim became Red Robin. Nightwing, who of course used to be Robin himself, the original Robin, is now Batman, and Damian Wayne, Bruce's son, is Robin. So it makes sense. If they're graduating graduating everybody, putting them in new masks, why not make her Batgirl? We'll see if it lasts. I don't know if it will, but we'll
0: see. What happened to Cassandra Kane, if I may ask? Because, again, I'm out of touch with the current storylines.
1: She nonsensically became evil and became the leader of the League of Assassins or League of Shadows or... No, League of something, I don't know. And then I think they tried making her a hero again, and I don't know. But basically, this is how... The 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 mantle was passed from Cassandra to Stephanie. Cassandra's like, "Yeah, Bruce is dead. I don't want to be Batgirl anymore." Here you go, and then she jumps off a building and zip lines away. That was it. It was done in like three panels. Wow. Yeah, DC That's terrible. Yeah, when they created the Cassandra Kane Batgirl character, they had such uh, there was there was a gold mine there. And they were doing well with it. And then over in Robin, when it turned out Batgirl was suddenly evil, again, nonsensically, from that moment forward, it's like DC had no idea what to do with that character. They did something dumb with her and they can't bring her back. They literally ruined that character. They should just let her sit on the sidelines for a good five, six, seven years let fan interest kind of build in her again be like oh remember cassandra she was cool let us forget about the shittiness of the last couple of years of what they've been doing with her and then bring her back to much fanfare and you know because right now she's just you know to use a term that is used in the comic book industry she's radioactive you can't touch her no one wants to do anything with her and nothing makes sense with her anymore so yeah uh,
0: that hurts my heart to hear that
1: yeah. yeah it broke mine Ter, it broke mine so terribly bad
0: Back to the Wonder Woman movie, I heard Tara Strong uh, used her Princess Clara voice on Artemis's sister, which was fine in my book. And finally, what are you guys' thoughts on the Spider-Man movie relaunch? To me, it's too early for one.
1: Way too early.
0: Honestly, as long as they actually get the Peter Parker character, uh, slash Spider-Man character correct, who can actually crack wise, that'd be nice, considering Tobey Maguire could not do it. Right, yeah. And hey,
1: as long as they get a Mary Jane, who isn't... uh... Kirsten What's-Her-Face Dunst Yeah I'll be happy Yeah You know I hated what they did with her In every single film I hated that character Oh my god
2: Who would have thought The Ubermensch Would be green Ubermensch The superior man Those destined To lead the world I thought that was your goal My only desire Is peace Progress unity with you in charge of course why not under my enlightened leadership i can build a new world order all this from one laptop computer i'm from the future the same as you i'm not from the future but this is 60 years from now it will be a child's toy but today it's the most powerful weapon on earth where did you get it a gift to myself greetings from the future you age gracefully you have no idea i have finally found a way to open a door into the past and through that door i have sent you this over the last few years i've come to realize that world war ii was the last best opportunity for me to assume full and permanent power the technology inside this device will give you a huge advantage in the war and i will also give you a second advantage knowledge of the future first the war cannot be won if that raging lunatic continues to run things. He must be pushed aside. Second, the Allies will invade Normandy on June 6th, 1944. Be ready. Third. Well, you get the idea. Knowing the future, how can I not
0: succeed? All right. For those of you who don't know, whenever we tackle a three-part episode or a movie, uh, we always, we do a review style where I just go uh, beat by beat by beat on the plot and Mike will interrupt me with whatever he feels like speaking about, and then i'll stop i'll sometimes stop myself with a note that I have and that's and we'll just go f- from point A to point z all the way all the way through oh yeah so here we are with the savage time woo <laughs> the movie slash three part episode opens up with uh, the Justice League being towed in a javelin by green Lantern across the cosmos and They finally make their way back to the Watchtower. Wait, wait, wait.
1: I I already have to jump in. This is something I just thought of. Wow, I can't believe I've never thought of this when I've actually been viewing the episode, because, of course, I've seen this one plenty of times. Okay, um, they only have Green Lantern towing the javelin as a plot point so his ring can run out of energy later on. Because if you think about it, John or Superman or even Wonder Woman in a spacesuit could have been pushing the jet, or the the javelin, through space faster than GL could have towed it. That's true. Wow. I didn't think think about that. It literally just dawned on me as you were starting up your synopsis. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to go all convenient for the plot. I'm not going to... Well, I guess it is, but I'm not going to like bring it down a point for anything like that. But wow. Wow. That really doesn't make sense to have to have John towing it, does it? (laughs) You know, but now someone's going to write in and be like, maybe they're out of spacesuits, And that could be true. But Superman should be able to breathe in space, as should John. So I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um, when they get back to the Watchtower, Batman is there on duty. Doing whatever he's doing, and uh, he's about to open the the docking bay for them when suddenly this massive energy pulse occurs, and uh, when this when the bright flash of light is over, the watchtower and Batman are completely gone. They have disappeared without a trace. Um, Jean and Jean can't sense Batman's presence at all, so they know nothing's there now. It's there's no illusion or anything. They are gone. Um, so Lantern brings them all down to Earth, into Metropolis, where things have changed quite a bit. Oh, yeah. The Daily Planet, instead of, you know, it's normal, the normal, uh, statue on top of the Daily Planet, is now the Daily Planet being held by a fist. (laughs) (laughs) And there are several red flags all over the city that are kind of warped swastikas. Yeah. Um... And this is where the credits roll. After the credits roll, we uh, see the League just wandering around the town. Flash uh, spots a poster of some guy with the word leader plastered on it. And these, these uh, posters are yeah, Why would are, say, yeah, like,
1: for... Vandal or Savage? Why just leader? You know? <laughs> I think when you see a poster like that, you get the idea that he's the leader. <laughs> yeah.
0: You'd think. Yeah. Well, Flash rips one of them off the wall, and uh, this does not go over well with two police officers standing by, and they demand to see the hero's identifications. And uh, Flash cracks wise with them, saying that, you know, uh, my identity's a secret. Chicks dig the whole (laughs) Man of Mystery thing.
1: I love the way that shot's framed, too, because it's him, and you got the two female leaguers in the back, just like, oh, shut up!
0: They're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Hot Girl, the look on Hot Girl's face is great. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> so um, the the police officers are not amused, and they try to arrest Flash, but Hot Girl intervenes and tosses one of them across the street. So they call for backup with a flare gun, <laughs> and suddenly the League is in way over their heads with all kinds of security, Read Gestapo, forces after them. And uh, suddenly a guy who they think is Batman... Uh, comes out of the shadows and tells them to follow him into the sewer to escape the guards and uh, the police and whatnot. And they do get away in this rocket-powered subway car under the surface. And when they get to this hideout... Oh, wait,
1: hang on, I have to jump in again. Okay. 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 The, The cops, the Gestapo, whatever you want to call them, they see the train. They see the direction it's going in. You have to assume there's only a handful of, you know, offshoots on that track. Like, is it that hard to figure out where the Resistance's headquarters is? Do you know what I'm saying? It just seems to keep going straight and then, like, one barricade falls down and a wooden door lifts up. Like, really? That's Batman's security measures? (laughs) Like, what? They they seriously can't find these guys. Uh, That's a little suspect.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Point taken. Yeah. Uh, So, they get into this hideout and Batman demands to know who they are. And they're like, dude, it's us. (laughs) So they, all of the, uh, the resistance fighters down there, they all point their guns at the league and Superman just gets in Batman's face and says, look, if we wanted to hurt you, we would have. (laughs) And (laughs) Batman just, you know, lower, tells them to lower their, uh, their firearms, which is, uh, pretty weird. But you get the sense that, you know, they're not, they're not in Kansas anymore.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there's that scene where, you know, Batman pulls a gun himself. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, this is a different guy. I mean, it's still Bruce Wayne, we know that. But still a very different guy underneath that mask.
0: Yep. And uh, so Batman explains who they are. They oh, are. Wait, the res-
1: wait, wait, come on, come on. When, I love when Superman holds the, the gun up to Batman's face. And it's just like all bent and wrecked, yeah. And Batman just looks down at it like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> like take <point laughs> taken, because it goes back to what Superman said: if if we wanted to stop you, we would have. You know, like, oh, I guess you're right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> true enough, true enough. Although I thought it was—I just thought it was kind of funny. My thought was, dude, that we don't have a lot of uh, weaponry here. Yeah. Why did you wreck one of our guns? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that no was my immediate thought. Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so they are the resistance and they're dedicated to stopping the world regime that has been in power since world war two and flash chimes in is like but we won that war didn't uh. we <laughs> and bat says no they did and he shows a picture of the nazis flooding the streets and taking over the world and green lantern says look this is insane the allies stormed uh europe on d-day and bat uh you know, Bruce Wayne interrupts him and says, D-Day was an abject disaster, and it marked the beginning of the end for the Allied forces. You know, of course, we have to mention the Bat family. Oh, there's so
1: the, many cool little things going on in the background of this scene. Why don't you go ahead with them, though?
0: Well, of course, uh, we see uh, Barbara Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson uh, kissing. Oh, yeah, they're and, getting it on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yep, P-D- uh, PDA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, then... Behind them, Tim and Cassandra Kane are running by.
1: Right. Never, they very, never. Very
0: young, very young Cassandra Kane.
1: Right. They they never say a word. You know, you kind of have to assume that that's Cassandra, but it's it's Cassandra.
0: Yeah, yeah I don't I don't get the the whole Annie thing. That, that yeah, it's not Annie, folks. No, Plo- it's it's Cassandra. Stop. But what else we got going on here?
1: Oh, there's the. Uh, the btas
0: batmobile hanging around with a, with a mountain a mounted cannon on it <laughs> oh
1: i didn't notice the cannon really
0: yeah oh shit i somehow missed that <laughs> like a heavily armored old school batmobile with a mounted cannon
1: oh shit i gotta throw this back in maybe when i'm clipping out the uh the sound bites for this episode i'll uh go back to that scene to look for its it what is it on like the top of the car is it on the hood yeah or it's, is it? it's it's on the hood yeah okay okay but yeah i love seeing that batmobile because we haven't seen that car in forever i mean You know, of course, we had it in B.T.A.S., but then they changed it for Gotham Knights. And then, you know, I guess we sort of got it in Batman Beyond, just flipped upside down. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it was cool seeing that brought back. Yeah, yeah. And there might even be other little Easter eggs in the background that you and I missed, but I don't know.
0: Uh, Jean deduces that something has messed with uh, Space-Time Continuum, and that possibly... Lantern's ring was the only reason that they weren't affected by that uh, by that pulse. So uh, Bruce Wayne takes the heroes to a building where the resistance has been detecting uh, large electromagnetic readings. Uh, so Jean sneaks in. Wait, wait, and... I got to
1: point something out. Okay. There's a plot hole here. John says, "Have you noticed any weird electromagnetic readings lately?" And Batman says, "Yeah, actually, we had some weird static on our comms." this doesn't make sense in the slightest. Why would this alternate reality have picked up that electromagnetic time-warping bubble thing going on? That would have happened in our reality. And then Savage would have not gone back in time himself, but we find out he sent the laptop and the CD or DVD back in time, which then created this reality. There never would have been this time portal in this reality. It wasn't created in this reality. It was created in our reality to create this spin-off reality.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, well, you could maybe say that this version of Savage was, you know, again, playing with the time stream, but why would he be doing that in the reality that he wanted to create?
0: Uh, I don't know about that, but I, I he, he did have some kind of throwaway dialogue, didn't he, about wanting to uh, control time. Uh, I'm, yeah, I know he did. He had, he had some kind of line where he said he wanted to master uh, time travel. So I can, I can accept the portal being there. I know it's, it's, I know it's throwaway dialogue, but you know.
1: Okay, I can understand what you're saying. Maybe, maybe he wants to go further back in time. To take over the world pre World War Two, during World War One, during the American Revolution, during the caveman era, because of course that's Savage's origin. Is what isn't he like a caveman that got he's, hit with like a meteor or something?
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a yeah he's a crow he, he yeah. St- I mean, he sl- he slept near the meteor and absorbed all the radiation from it.
1: Oh, for some reason, I honestly thought it hit him in the head.
0: I really thought that was his origin. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> like this,
1: I don't know, some little meteor just went, "Punk! hey, I'm immortal now, yay! You know, but, uh, what do you call it? Dude. So, okay, then I could maybe justify it. You know, them having this time portal and all this and that, but if you miss that throwaway line, like it appears I did, do you see why I suddenly have a problem?
0: Yeah. Door, yeah, it absolutely. looks like
1: there's a plot hole, but okay, okay, I'll overlook it.
0: Okay, so yeah, Jean sneaks in and he overhears the scientists inside discussing the t- the, the time portal in front of them, uh, and they say that the it based on their readings, it can only last for at the most forty eight hours. So the league storms in there; they're immediately met by a bunch of gunfire, but they take out the guards. And after discussing the pros and cons with the alternate reality Batman they decide to leap into the portal into the past to fix what's fix what happened during world war ii and uh I mean, batman's uh you know the alternate reality batman's dialogue is chilling but it's it's really cool here he's he's like you realize that if you know if we do this then this version of you will have never existed and batman says nothing would make me happier so i i really like that just one little line, but it's really, really cool.
1: Yeah, I really like this alternate reality Batman. I, I can't express why, I just do. And um, that line is definitely one of the reasons why, but I feel so bad for Superman in the next moment. You know, where he's, you know, Batman says something like, Oh, you mean if this reality didn't happen, maybe my parents wouldn't have died? And Superman's just like, he pauses and he's like, I can't promise that. Because at this point, You know the other leaguers don't know who Batman is, except Superman. You know, Mm -hmm. so that's why he, he, you know, it it only seems to resonate with him. And you know, oh, you just you just feel so bad for both Superman and Batman in that moment.
0: Yeah, Yeah. definitely. The league is now in the past, and they land right in the middle of France, where uh, a a battle between the Nazis and Allies is raging on. When suddenly this guard gigantuan wheel device operated by the nazis rolls in and just starts blasting everything the league does intervene and eventually helps the allies win the battle and Jean pulls a transistor out from uh, one of the war wheel wreckages and they understand now that those responsible for this could have arrived in this time months or years ago so the league decides to split up and uh, for different uh, different strategies here jean and diana head to berlin uh to see what they can find out uh while superman and the others deal with the more super with more of the super advanced war mechanisms that the nazis suddenly have here in berlin we're finally introduced to vandal savage who is the undisputed leader here and he receives what is apparently another report of costume fighters with magical powers (laughs) on the ally side and I love this because he's like, uh, it's just allied propaganda. Yeah. (laughs) It's great. Yeah. Um, And uh, one of his high-ranking officers, uh, General Hoffman, questions if it actually is propaganda and whether they are prepared to deal with this if this is actually true. And uh, Savage says that, you know, you shouldn't worry. And so he pulls out a metal gauntlet out of his coat, and he blasts Hoffman with an electrical current.
1: (laughs) Poor Hoffman.
0: Yes. Sorry.
1: Family on my mom's side, they're Hoffmans. So I'm like, oh, Hoffman, I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) Yes, we're not Nazi sympathizers here, folks. No, 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 not at all. But
1: it's like, you know, you know, he he could have been family. That's all. (laughs) This clearly fictional animated character. Yeah. Yes,
0: yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, suddenly outside there, several explosions are seen and, um, we're shown an Allied spy entering the grounds and stealing a plane. Well, he uh, flies into the sky, but is met with heavy, heavy resistance from several other aircraft, and they shoot him down. But Diana ends up saving him uh, after he's knocked unconscious and his par- and he can't open his parachute. When he wakes up on the ground, he uh, he's, he introduces himself as the one <laughs> and only Steve Trevor. Yay! <laughs> Yay! He says that he has something that the Axis wants, and he knows that they are planning on invading England, but he needs to get the information to France. He starts to walk away, but Jean uh, flies down, and (laughs) Steve just pulls his gun out. That's great. He's like, Holy shit! (laughs) What the fuck is this thing? (laughs) And Dinah's like, Don't worry, he's with me. And he's like, You're sure. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so Jean asks him where uh, where the Axis got these weapons, and Trevor says that uh, Vandal Savage brought them to the Axis High Command, and they were so impressed by all this stuff that they anointed him their ne- uh, new Fuhrer. And uh, he then says that Savage has a lab in Gernstrasse, but uh, he'll, never, he'll never be able to get in because it's too heavily guarded. Uh, Jean disagrees and says he has his own ways of breaking and entering, So, he goes to this lab, uh, where he sees a laptop inside uh, a room, and he then phases into a cryogenics room where none other than the naked body of Adolf Hitler is encased in ice. Yeah, okay. Now, I can't believe they did it, but they actually managed to get Adolf Hitler into a modern cartoon. Uh, A naked
1: Adolf Hitler.
0: Yeah, at that. Yeah. Um... Now, I have to be honest, though. I really, really wish that they hadn't had this shown the cryogenic room here and just waited until that scene at the end of episode three. Oh, yeah. Because it, it would have made it so much eerier and so much better, only showing Hitler at the very, very end of the episode. Yeah, you're right. You're it, right. It would have made it just so much more powerful and creepy. Yeah. I mean,
1: and I, gotta, I, I really got to call in the question why is Hitler even on ice to begin with? If they're all like, hey, Savage, you're great, and he's like, oh, yeah, sorry. Anyways, um, well, <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, if they think this guy's so great and he's going to lead, you know, the Third Reich into uh, glory, why would they keep, you know, Hitler's body around?
0: My only guess is uh, Savage's future self may have been, like told his past self to keep him around, to, like, study him, study his brain. I don't know, something See, I, like that. I, I
1: can't buy that because everybody, everybody keeps calling Hitler a maniac <laughs> in this episode. But they're like, at least, we I, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was basically like, at least we knew where he was coming from or something like that.
0: About like, Hoffman.
1: He, or he's not as bad as savages or something. There's a couple of lines about Hitler.
0: Well, so I'll have... I'll have something to say about that line you're talking about okay. uh, a little later on. Yeah.
1: I don't know. It just, I understand why they did it because this way at the end, yeah, you know, it could set the timeline right. You know, now in the DCAU, World War II went a little differently where suddenly the Germans had these wonky tanks and jet engines, but at least by the time it ended, Hitler was back in power. Then it could progress the way it did for us. You know what I'm saying? But I, it still doesn't make sense to me. But I agree with you, it would have been much, much cooler if we just got that clip at
0: the end it's like, oh
1: shit, he's still around! Oh no! <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So we're getting close to the end of the first episode here. We go back to the battlefield where uh, Green Lantern saves an allied soldier but eventually his ring runs out of power and he manages to get a, a, a wounded soldier to Hawk Girl, who it, it tries to help lantern off the ground who's just running now. But lantern just tells her no, get the hell out of here. Get those soldiers out of here and he ends up being left behind. And the up the end of the episode is just all these war wheels just bearing down on him as as the episode ends.
1: Yeah, and in that moment, I know uh last time in episode seventy one, we spoke about how you can really see the true beginnings of the Hawk girl Green Lantern relationship. During Legends, where he's moping, and uh, she puts her arm around him, doesn't she? As he's looking out at the stars? Mm -hmm. Well, here, when he's like, go, he's really telling her to get the hell out of there, there's a genuine, soft, concerned look on her face. Not that concerned look you have for a friend, for a colleague, or even a teammate, but that concerned look you have for someone you really, truly care about, have feelings for. And then she hardens becomes Hawk girl again the Hawk girl we know because she realizes she doesn't like this but john is right he's absolutely right in what he's saying and she does her duty and flies away it's it's a very subtle shift in her facial expression and it's a very subtle moment shared between the two but it continues what they've been building with those two at the very least since legends
2: mhm
0: definitely yeah, it's just really it's really sad because here it- you have no fucking clue what's going to happen to John, right? I mean, he could very well be killed here, right? Who knows? So, shall we just jump into episode two? Well, there's a couple
1: of things I want to say about the, the first part here that I didn't jump in with uh, while we were talking about it. I honestly feel this is the first time, and this is speaking about this this whole thing as a three part whole, okay? But I'm, I'm going to say it here. This is the first time, in my opinion, that they've gotten Wonder Woman right in terms of characterization.
0: Amen. That yes. is one of my big notes for Episode 3, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. And In terms of look, she looks really good. She looks mm-hmm. feminine, yet strong throughout the episode. She, Her look is consistent. She's very pretty. Her face doesn't change like it did in, um. Uh, what was it, Fury. From start to finish, Wonder Woman, they just... Pardon the phrasing here. They nail her. They nail her good, and I really hope. I don't remember how she's portrayed in the episodes we have coming up, but I hope from this point forward
0: they're this consistent with her. You said pretty much verbatim one of my notes on. <laughs> it's just the, the the anim. I noticed the animation on her design was just. It was perfect. Yeah, they it was. Fin- they finally just nailed it. You know,
1: and maybe it's because Wonder Woman is a character that was born during World War II and maybe should have stayed in World War II. So when they have the opportunity to draw her in a World War II setting, it just feels right for them, and it just comes out the way it's supposed to. But then when you try to do her in a modern setting, it just doesn't work. Do you you understand what I'm sort of getting at there? Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe. I'm just just speculating. Sticking with Wonder Woman and Steve here, I love that dogfight. That Steve has with those two or three German fighters. And I, what I really like is that moment when his plane shot the fuck up. And he, he's going to jump out, but he's kamikaze diving it. Is that Kamikaze diving? Well, he's dive-bombing it, basically. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the plane's on fire. It's completely fucked up. And he's like, okay, I'm going to jump out of this thing, but I'm taking Fritz, I'm taking you out with me. And he's just going to crash <laughs> the two planes into each other. And he does. I mean, again, this, this whole story is brutal. I mean, thousands of people die in the Justice League. They're contributing to it. We don't see everybody parachute out.
0: Exactly. There's a yep. lot of
1: people dying in this. But that, that dogfight specifically I thought was great. It really set the tone for all the dogfights we would get later on when the Blackhawks show up. So I think that was a really solid start there.
0: Yep, definitely, definitely. This is this first episode has set up everything just about as well as you possibly could.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the the last note I have for this first part here is this. I knew Hucker was strong, but I didn't realize how strong she was until this episode
0: where she's carrying all the soldiers out of there through the air?
1: No, not that. But that's, that is is part of it. But there's that scene where Superman and Wonder Woman are trying to tip over the wheelie really tanky war machine thing, right? And they're, they're starting to tip it, but it isn't until Hawkgirl adds her strength to it that they're able to knock it over. Which sort of implies that she's maybe not as strong as Superman and Wonder Woman, but she's right there with them, maybe just a step or two below them.
0: Yeah, I I would put her maybe on a level of say rogue.
1: Okay, I could see that. Sure, sure.
0: Maybe mm-hmm. in terms of uh, in terms of uh, relative uh, comic book character strength.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I never really thought she was quite that strong. I knew she was stronger, but not like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was that was cool seeing that. Yeah. All right. Um. You know, I actually have one more thing. It's written in my margins here. Pardon me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this takes place in the first or second part, but there's this one scene during one of the big battles where there's a soldier, uh, an injured soldier running around and he's holding his eye. And I have to wonder if that's a nod to Nick Fury from the Marvel universe, who of course is missing his eye.
0: I I didn't catch that. So I don't know.
1: Yeah. After, you know, I've, I've always seen it, but I, I can never remember where it is, and after I was done watching it again for this episode here, I tried going back and finding it, and I couldn't, but I know it's in there. You know, just a young soldier with, you know, darker hair, and he's holding his eye as if he's lost it. Nick Fury? I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing the idea out there.
0: Who knows? Yeah. So, episode two opens up with the League helping the Allies retreat from a beach, Flash ends up... Running back for Green Lantern because he he confronted Hot Girl, saying, "Where is where's uh, GL?" And he's like, "He he was you know left. He had to leave him back there because he had to get these soldiers out of here." And Flash just lays into her. Just he is super pissed off that she left Lantern back there. He just doesn't understand that 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 she had to do it, and so he just runs straight back into the front, uh, and back into the the war torn city looking for Green Lantern and he just misses him because Lantern was knocked into a muddy river and Flash was like on a on a broke uh, a broken overpass and like literally missed him by three seconds so I mean Lantern wakes up uh, from, from his semi-comatose state and is just covered in mud his ring is completely non-functional now and we go back to the beach where uh, Soups and, uh, Shire are getting assist from the Blackhawks. Oh, yeah. Fuck, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, and the Blackhawks, if you don't know, are a group of paramilitary pilots from all over Europe, from, I believe, Poland, Sweden, just, uh, Axis occupied European nations. And they eventually they take, uh, they along with the League take out all of the Axis planes that have attacked the Allies that are trying to retreat. My one note here, and I, I and before I even say my note, I I kind of have to apologize because when I have to do these movie summaries, I, I kind of shortchange myself on notes just so I make sure I don't forget anything in the plot. Okay. But uh, but my note here is the Black Hawk theme was just awesome. Yeah. That it was just so epic and heroic. It, it was just a just a brilliantly scored theme.
1: You could really tell with this story. From the the writers, to the directing, to the animators, to the composer. They were all giving it 100%. They were just going all out for this. And it shows. And, I mean, there's just this little thing that shows you how much care they were putting into the episode. Where, when we see the... I think it's the enemy fighters, but it could be the Blackhawks. But I'm pretty sure it's the enemies. They're completely in shadow except when they start firing and then their guns, you know, because of the explosive bursts of the bullets coming out, when their guns go off, it lights up the front of their fighters. So like part of the, part of their planes are still in shadow, but the fronts briefly for just split seconds are, are, are lit up. And then they fall back in the shadow and they're lit up again. It's just a really small touch, just a really small touch that adds so much.
0: Yeah, and the shadow effect on the Blackhawks on their faces when they're in their jets mm-hmm. is, or they're in their in their planes is, is awesome, too. Yeah.
1: And, you know, earlier I had said there might have been a slight little nod to Nick Fury, but there's very clearly a nod to a Marvel character in this dogfight sequence. At one point, Superman is just, he's like, I think he tells Hawkgirl, like, all bets are off and they just start kicking the shit out of these planes. Superman flies through one of the planes, and of course in so doing is covered in petrol and is set ablaze, and he zips around on fire like the original World War II era Human Torch from Marvel Comics. The way the flames are drawn in everything is the way that old human torch used to be drawn. And, of course, he was part of the Invaders, along with Captain America and Bucky and Toro and uh, the Submariner, and so many other people I'm missing. You know, they couldn't get Captain America in there. They couldn't get the Submariner mariner in there. But they, could, they could do this sly little thing to get the human fucking torch in there via Superman. I thought it, I thought it was brilliant. They deserve so much credit for getting that a Marvel character again through Superman. <laughs> you know, in into this story, it was awesome.
0: Very cool. I didn't, I didn't catch that, but mm-hmm. it, that's not my area of expertise. So yeah, understandable. Probably yeah. explains it. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about here?
1: Uh, for now, no. I'm done with my notes. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, so next we go to Diana and Steve again. Uh, They have made their way to a ruined house in, I believe, the French countryside uh, where Trevor is supposed to meet with a German defector who can hopefully code break the communicator that Steve has stolen from the Axis and thus determine what their plans are and when uh, they're supposed – when their invasion is going to begin and where it's going to start. And it kind of flashes back and forth between scenes here, but uh, after this we – we're introduced uh, to the Blackhawks, uh, and Blackhawk himself in- introduces himself and his fellow fighter pilots to the League. And then we shift again, and Lanter- uh, we see Green Lantern, who's confronted by the Easy Company, oh, yeah. uh, a group of American commandos, whose goal here is to destroy a German air base somewhere in the area, which they know is going to be the launching point for the invasion. They just don't know where it is. And um, Bulldozer, a rather large chap uh, has has his doubts about John's usefulness without the uh, the magic ring but um, John quickly puts those doubts to rest by beating the crap out of him <laughs> Marine Corps 316 says I just kicked your ass bulldozer <laughs> it's just a great moment uh, he says because uh, Sergeant Rock is like where'd you learn that that uh, I don't even know what he what he calls him and he's like where'd you learn that pal and he says oh United States Marine Corps. It's <laughs> like, oh! Yeah. Oh, shit, son, we got us a Marine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. I forgot to mention something earlier. Is when, um, when I was talking about, we were talking about Adolf Hitler in the cryo chamber. Uh, when John went into that chamber, uh, Vandal Savage snuck up behind John and electrocuted him and knocked him out. And this is, this continues this, uh, where we see John. Uh, Jean strapped to a gurney, and he's being interrogated by Savage. And Jean assumes that Savage is actually from the future, like him and the rest of the league. But Savage uh, explains that, no, I'm, I've lived here. This is where I live. And uh, he explains that he got the laptop computer from his future self. And he has a disk with uh, information from his future self. And he puts the disk into the laptop, shows... Uh, Jean, his future self, uh, giving him instructions on how to change all of history. And he explains that World War II was the last best chance for him to, you know, truly grab hold and achieve world domination. Um, but he said that first, you've got to get rid of that raving lunatic that's in power in Germany. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and then second, he gave him, uh, Advanced technological instructions for weapons well beyond their dreams in this time period. And thirdly, and most importantly, he told him when the Allies would invade Normandy. And then, it, after some slight banter, Savage turns uh, Jean over to an interrogator voiced by Michael Rosenbaum.
1: Oh, was that him? Okay.
0: <laughs> yep. Yo- <laughs> yes, Yosef. Yosef was Michael Rosenbaum. <laughs> Has anyone ever held anything back from me, mein Fuhrer? <laughs> you went a little Irish there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, well, hey, I am Irish and German, so. <laughs> so there you go. I'm an I- I- There's my Irish German impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah. it's it's awesome though because like in the uh, commentary, Bruce Timm says that uh, all of the cast had to do double duty here because they couldn't very well get, you know a dozen voice actors just for a little bit German parts, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, every single person in the cast had to do, uh, voice a goofy German, do a goofy German accent.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. I actually liked uh, Rosenbaum's, though. Yeah. <laughs> Anything you want to say before I move on? Nope. Back in the countryside, Diane and Steve Oh, wait, are, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. How is it that Savage, okay, I know Savage has advanced technology, but it's advanced technology for the 1940s. Not for the era we're living in now, or at least the era when the cartoon was set. Okay, so how is it that John is able to be restrained? It's not like he's going to have a dampening field or some super metal that John can't phase through.
0: Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, he he never really was restrained because I think kind. John was just toy he was just toying with Savage trying to get information out of him. Yeah, and then when Joseph goes in there, John. Uh gets out and puts him on the gurney, yeah, but the thing the the reason I bought that he was actually restrained
1: for a little while there is because when it, the, you know he goes in there to torture him, we do hear John yell as if he's being tortured. That's not the German that's yelling, that's John, yeah, right, so that's why I got a little confused, but you're you're absolutely right, it's probably like that Batman scene, Batman being in that thing in injustice yeah. for all., well, I was never trapped, you know, I was just <laughs> watching you guys. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah, Jean learned from being electrocuted by the ultra-humanite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I said, we go back to the countryside where Diana and Steve are shooting the shit. But, uh, and uh, Steve says, or, well, I said, uh, Diana says that Steve is a, a very strange fellow and that, you know, you have no strange powers, but you're willing to die for, you know, what exactly? And uh, Steve's like, well, some things are worth dying for, Angel. <laughs> is I, Is this the first time he calls her Angel? No, when he wakes up. When he wakes up, yeah. He does, okay. I couldn't remember.
1: Yeah, because he thinks he's dead, and he's like, ooh, Angel. And she's like, no. And then when he pulls pulls the gun on John, he's like, are you sure I'm not dead? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Steve Trevor, such a great character. Yeah, but but getting back to this this scene here, you know, this is my only sort of bothersome moment with Wonder Woman in this story is, is what you said she says to him. Oh, I don't understand. Why are you fighting? You don't have any powers. What? What? There is Batman, <laughs> and, and not only Batman, but what about police officers? That whole episode, Fury. The whole point of that is that you know, even if you take men out of society, there's still women, plenty of women, ready to step up and be the firemen, be the police, do the heroic jobs that need doing. So she saw it with women there. She sees it with men every day. So I just didn't like this line. I understand what they were doing here. They were trying to give us a little bit of characterization of Steve. But I really did not like it. Not at all.
0: Steve gets a bottle of wine, but he can't take the cork out. (laughs) So he hands it to Diana. But when she attempts to take it out of there, it's shot from outside. And they look through a hole in the ruined house and they see the Axis completely surrounding the, well, the wreckage of the house, really. So S- Steve says that they, they, they must have caught the defector, and Diana's like, and he betrayed you? And he's like, look, you know, he's just a civilian. You can't really blame him for it. So uh, he hands Diana the device that uh, the Axis wants, the communicator, and he kisses her goodbye. And Diana really likes it.
2: Yeah.
0: She does. She gets into it. And so Steve gets outside and creates a diversion, and this allows Diana to just beat the unholy hell out of the entire attack force in a matter of I don't know, like thirty seconds. Yeah. And this is where I had the note about Wonder Woman's character model because I right here I think is where it, it everything looks in proportion, and she actually looks human. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah. really, really, really good. And from here, I believe we go to Blackhawk Island. Uh, yeah. The uh, the Blackhawks are briefing the league on a factory complex uh, that they have to destroy because this is where many of uh, Savages' weapons are being manufactured. And then we do a quick scene shift to the where the Easy Company and GL are trying to get up a hill where there's a uh, on top of this hill there's a bunker with Axis chain gunners. John's job is to just watch the Easy Company's back while they sneak, they flank them from either side. And the one dude, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, the uh, red-headed guy.
1: Oh, Wildman, I think.
0: Yeah, Wildman. Yeah, yeah he, he cooks a grenade, but as he's about to throw it into the bunker, a sniper shoots him in the leg. And the grenade falls on the ground, and it nearly blows him up. And then uh, John takes his gun and kills the sniper.
1: It's. I think it's implied that he shoots the gun. Uh,
0: I don't, don't know. know.
1: I, I really think he shoots the gun, but because it's in silhouette, it could be he sniped him. I don't know. I'm going to go with sniped he, he actually sniped him. Okay. He was
0: in the military. He's trained to do this stuff. Oh, absolutely.
1: So. Absolutely. I'm just saying, I thought I saw the gun shot, the gun being shot, that is. But, mm-hmm. you know, because of the way it's set up, again, in silhouette, it could be implied that he actually did shoot him.
0: But either way, Bulldozer berates Stuart after they finally do manage to get the grenade, a grenade into the bunker and destroy it. Uh, Bulldozer is really pissed off at Stuart for not watching their back. Then we go to, back to Berlin, where, uh, Jean fools the guards outside by disguising himself as Yosef, and, uh, he just walks away, and then the guards hear, uh, the, like, The real Yosef moaning from inside the room, and (laughs) he's been strapped to the gurney while Jean just walked away. (laughs) It's great. And Savage is called in and sees that uh, Jean has destroyed his computer, and that they can't start their invasion because Hoffman informs Savage that one of their coded communicators is missing, the one that uh, Trevor took. So Hoffman gets smacked in the face for his troubles. Poor guy. (laughs) And uh, so Diana and Steve finally do make their way to the prison where Ernst, uh, the the German defector, is being held. But once they uh, take the gag off his mouth, he says, look, it's a trap. And they look outside, and they see the war wheels surrounding the jail. And uh, that's where the episode ends. And my note here is, how did the Nazis know the exact moment when Steve and Diana would enter the jail?
1: Well, furthermore... Why do they destroy their own jail just to kill these three people? They just they level an entire building, their own building. It's not like it was that French chateau or whatever it was, you know, from earlier. It's it's their own thing.
0: <laughs> I guess they really, really wanted to destroy that communicator. I guess
1: so. I don't know. <laughs> that just seemed a little weird to me.
0: Yeah, know. definitely.
1: But you're right. How, how did they know that, that they'd be there at that minute?
0: Exactly, because they snuck in. I mean, Diana flew Steve up to the, the tower, and they they were not seen. That and it was I I found it kind of funny that uh, Trevor knocked out one of the guards with a stick grenade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude, that could uh, if that stick gets turned uh, slightly, you know, clockwise or counterclockwise, however, whichever direction it is, uh, that thing's cooked.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> you blow your flip the whole side of your body off. <laughs>
1: something we didn't mention before is that you had brought up earlier that flash runs off to try to find john and he can't find him he just misses him and then he comes back and he and hawker will get into it again and she grabs him and she's like come with me and she's like what do you see do you see this and she's pointing out all the wounded soldiers and he's like yeah but and she's like no She's like, look at this. If I didn't leave him behind, the casualties would have been much worse. And I liked that moment between those two, because, again, it shows you it shows you both their characters, how they're coming from two totally different places, but yeah. it's giving true depth to Hawkgirl, who up until this point you know, we've complained about, she just hasn't had. Oftentimes she's just a pick up the mace, hurrah, 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 character. Just smashing shit. But here you actually get into her head. You know she didn't want to leave John behind. She had no choice though because it was, if it means letting her friend and future lover
0: die to save dozens of people, then that's the right decision. They managed to do this without making Flash look weak or immature because because after Hot Girl says, look, it's the only choice I had and then, Flash says, yeah, some choice.
1: Right, yeah. I mean,
0: Whatever he said, I, I know I'm paraphrasing, but it really, they, they made Flash look good, actually, even though he was, you know, he was probably, he was slightly in the wrong there.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where they're both right and they're both wrong. You know what I'm saying? You, I mean, you could, or I shouldn't word it that way. You could see either side of the argument, I guess is what I should say.
0: Yeah. You know, ultimately Hot Girl is right. Exactly.
1: That that is the thing. You know, she did the right thing. It was the hard decision, but it was the right decision. But you could argue Flash's point as well. But anyways, during that scene, there's what I believe to be another nod to a DC character. In the background of the triage, I guess, um, there's a character with his face all bandaged up. That's gotta be the unknown soldier, or at least a reference to him. He's—he's—it's a blink and you miss it kind of thing, but he's sitting there. Uh, yeah, I, I
0: didn't see that. So, so you blinked. <laughs> I, I, clearly, yeah. clearly, <laughs> I was typing my summary. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's, there's the excuse I'll use. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> this episode is very it never lost any steam from the first one. There was no down time. There was no, you know, disappointing. Oh, well, they—they they shortchanged this, or they. They kind of let up on the animation or no. the whatever. Whatever, you know, it's just it, everything is still moving. You know, really quick. You know. Oh yeah. That's easy to do too, in and in a middle episode. Oh yeah, definitely. It really is because you you have the first generally the first episode you've got to have a lot of fast pace. Oh my god, what the hell's going on here? Kind of shit where, you know, people are gonna be like, oh, what happens next? And then the third episode is where everything comes to a head and it's more action, more action, more action. Yeah. It's really it's really easy for that second episode to fall on its face, but it definitely did not. Oh, no. Anything else on episode two before I jump into part three? No, I think we're good to go. All right. So final part here opens up at the jail where the Nazis begin to utterly demolish the building. <laughs> and um, Diana takes the, communica- uh, the communicator's faceplate off, and she covers Stephen Ernst in a mattress while she bears the brunt of the assault on the jail. And uh, when all is said and done, the building is turned to dust, and uh, the Nazis discover the communicator's faceplate in the rubble, and they assume that it's been destroyed. So they send word to Savage, who sends out the order for Operation Endgame to begin. And we go back right back to the ruined building, and Diana gets out of the rubble uh, with Ernst and Steve, and Steve and Diana share yet another tender moment. And uh, they didn't animate it, but you could tell that Diana was blushing there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Superman, Hawk Girl, Flash. Wait a minute. I what? think
1: you, I, th- there's something I want to bring up here. They do a good little thing by revealing that uh, Steve's contact is a German. Yeah. Because yes. he calls Wonder Woman, what you call her, Fra- Fraulein?
0: Fra- yeah, Fraulein.
1: Yeah. And she's like, oh my God, you're German. And, oh my, oh, whoa. We didn't get a great Hera in this episode, did we? Nope. What the, what the? Whoa! Okay. Anyways,
0: Flash. Uh, uh, remember, Flash said, "Great jumping, Hera." Did he? <laughs> when they get right, right when they go through the portal into France. Oh, I missed it. And,
1: so we yeah, did that, get one just from a different character. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Flash <laughs> was making fun out of Wonder Woman. That's great. But uh, what do you call? It? No, I, I like that because that allowed him to be like, you know, we're not all like that.
0: Yes, and I, I and as somebody with a lot of German heritage, I appreciate that. Right, exactly. So like said, the, the leaguers, like Superman, Hawkgirl, Flash, and the Blackhawks do attack the industrial complex uh, that they were discussing earlier, and uh, eventually they do manage to destroy it, and the League stands amongst the rubble wondering what was being made there, and uh, Superman goes over and moves a big piece of rock away, and he discovers a jet engine. And Hawkgirl's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is way too advanced for uh, for this time period. And John flies down and explains what's going on and how Savage is planning to use uh, these jet engines. And from there, we go back to Green Lantern and the Easy Company where they, they're walking up this hill. And the map is apparently, either the map is wrong or they got bad information because like as John notes this hill isn't even on the map that that they're looking at and uh you know uh what's his face bulldozer walks up to John to to berate him some more and he falls through a hole and John's like i should have I should have known this, this hill is a fake <laughs> and uh, so they all go down into an underground bunker and they discover the runway for uh the takeoff of Vandal Savage's stealth bomber Air Force. I assume those are stealth bombers. I just that, that's what they look that's like. That's what they
1: look like, yeah, yeah.
0: So so they, they know they now know where the uh the uh, airfield is, it's <laughs> underground. Meanwhile Ernst uh decodes what the Nazis are up to and he tells Diane and Steve that they're beginning the invasion immediately and that their target is not Britain, it's America. Uh-oh. Uh oh Yeah <laughs> So Diana says, look, I've got to try and stop them. I got to do whatever I can. But Steve's like, well, what if I never see you again? So Diana grabs him and kisses him. <laughs> this is great. It, it's real. Th- they did such a great job with what little time they had here for this relationship. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: and, and you know what? You know what the best part is?
1: <laughs> Hawkgirl was right. Wonder Woman tried it and now she's not knocking it.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> Bingo. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that's, this is the last we see of, uh, this, this, uh, Steve Trevor. Right. And we'll come back to it a little later, but for now, this is the last we see of Steve Trevor. Uh, meanwhile, Vandal Savage, uh, himself is in that bunker underground with the stealth bombers, and he himself is boarding one of the bombers. And the Easy Company, they just say, <laughs> fuck it, let's just go in guns ablaze and, uh, to do what they can to stop him. But John ends up, Riding a motorcycle into the wheel bay of Savage's bomber, while the Easy Company takes out uh, one or two of the the planes and several Nazis with it, <laughs> and this is that's the last we see of the Easy Company. Yeah, I think they've done a really good job of bringing in
1: these like ancillary characters, letting them serve their purpose, and then letting them leave in a way that makes sense. Steve came in to be the spy, to woo Wonder Woman, to show her that, hey, men have their purposes, you know what I mean? And give the character some more depth, let that character grow, and then he leaves in the way he's supposed to leave. An Easy Company comes in being fucking Easy Company. (laughs) And they go out being Easy Company. And I don't say that as if they get slaughtered or anything, you know. But they came in as fighters and they leave as fighters. And they help John get from point A to point B, you know, in the story and as a character. Because we get to see John grow. We do get to see him without the ring. I mean, uh, what's his name? Dozer? Dozer? Yeah, Dozer. Yeah, Bolder. Yeah, He's pretty much a stand-in for the loudmouth fanboy. Oh, well, Green Lantern's nothing without his ring. Blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, he kicked your ass because he was a Marine. <laughs> does the ring uh-huh. help him? Yes. Does it allow him to take down super aliens and ultra-powerful beings? Yes, it does. The push comes to shove. He can still hold his own. You know, so that's what they were there for. And then they... they cover his back as he jumps on the jet to go do what he has to do. It was a really good way to bring in these, these other characters that for the most part, you know, again, we get Steven a
0: little bit, but we'll never see again. They pay such great respect to all these World war II era her- uh, heroes. Exactly. So uh, Superman flash, Hawk girl. Uh, and Sean are told by black Hawk that the Nazis are going to invade the United States. And They figure, well, that's why they need those jet engines. It's at this point that something really cool happens. Flash says, "Which way is west?" and they say that way, and then Flash just takes off running across the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah,
1: you're thinking, is he going to run all the way to America? What's he going to (laughs) do?
0: Hey, he can do it. (laughs) Yes, he is the Flash. Yeah, and I really liked it. It was, it was really cool. it, Flash served his purpose there. Is this and the
1: first time we've seen Flash run on water in this cartoon? I know we saw it in Superman, but that might have been Barry. But what about here?
0: Secret Origins, when he and Green Lantern are running across, are, are flying across the ocean. Uh, yeah. Okay. Like, Flash is like, you are no fun. That's right. That's right. Okay. But I mean, still, it was just really cool. Yeah. I thought. So, Fla- yeah, Flash takes off across the Atlantic Ocean to warn uh, America of the oncoming. Attack while Superman, Sean, and Hawkgirl uh, fly off after Savage's Air Force. Really, I mean, this is the beginning of a, you know, just a massive fight, uh, fight scene in the in the skies. But what's happening here is Green Lantern is inside of Savage's stealth bomber and he's doing whatever he can to sabotage it. He just grabs a piece of metal and just starts beating the shit out of the the inner the uh, inner workings of the of the plane, and he does manage to uh, disable it enough to where the, uh, villains, that being Savage and his crew, can't contact the other bombers, and they, and he's, his bomber starts to kind of sag a little bit, so, since they can't contact their, the, the, I mean, that being Savage can't contact his allies, uh, they start to just f- slow down to whatever pace he's going now, so it's, it, it's, he's serving his purpose here and slowing them down. You know, even though he does what he can, he does end up getting captured, and brought before Savage, and Savage demands to know if there's anybody else aboard the plane. And John just stares at him like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Savage says, very well. He takes out the electro gauntlet and starts frying John. And Ace, he says, y- you know what he doesn't do with the gauntlet? I'll bet you're going to tell me. <laughs> he doesn't charge Green Lantern's ring with it. I <laughs> I was thinking about that when I watched it, but I didn't make a note of yeah. it. Yeah. I didn't make a note of it either, but I made a mental note of it. Like,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned it, though. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, "Talk," and then so, John's like, "Talk is cheap." Yeah. <laughs> so he keeps frying him, and meanwhile, Hot Girl and Superman attack uh, Savage's bomber, and a huge. This is where the huge battle starts ensuing eventually Diana gets into the fray and the Nazis that are left alive and Vandal Savage manage to, uh, fire their afterburners and get away. But, uh, but eventually they're, they're met by intense Naval resistance from the Americans. And most of the stealth bombers are taken down, but Savage's bomber manages to evade the attacks and GL manages to, uh, wrestle an MP 40 away from two of the soldiers inside the bomber. And, uh, He points the gun right at Vandal Savage, and Savage says, you think you can kill me? You're welcome to try, because at this point, they don't know that he's an immortal. Lantern just smiles at him, points the gun 90 degrees to the control board, and just starts blasting it with the MP40, and uh, the bomber finally starts to go down for good. It's not going to be able to recover from this. And Jean, outside in the air, senses uh, Green Lantern's presence inside the bomber, and but before he can he can save him, he's knocked down by some kind of explosion. Uh, he tells Hawkgirl that Lantern is in that plane, and she's like, what? <laughs> and she just hauls ass yeah. into that plane, busts the windshield off, and rescues him. And uh, Savage's plane plummets into the ocean. And the last we see of Savage is him being engulfed by the water that's just rushing into the cockpit. And I believe the plane explodes in the water, but I'm not entirely certain about that because there wasn't any fire coming out of the water or anything. Yeah. And uh, the battle ultimately ends with the Black Hawks arriving and taking out the last couple of stealth bombers that try to uh, retreat. So we got a big old fight scene here. I did particularly like when a uh, hot girl rescues Green Lantern and is like, "What kept you?" And she's like, uh, "I had to fix my hair."
1: Yeah, and then they do a nice <laughs> thing where they they cut to their hands. And mm-hmm. at first, it's just them holding hands so she could fly him away, because of course he can't do it himself, but then you could tell he grips her hand more tightly, lovingly, right, exactly, just as a a loving thank you. I really enjoy what they're doing with these characters here. I honestly did not remember there being this much build up to their eventual relationship. This makes their eventual breakup. All the, because, of course, we know how it happens. We've both seen that episode, I'm sure, many times. You know, it makes it all the more tragic. You know, because we're along, we're along for the ride with them as they become a couple, and then whoopsie.
0: One note I have here is that Jean was in the direct path of that afterburner and wasn't harmed by it at all. Yeah,
1: have they really acknowledged that John, that John's weakness is fire? Because He's been attacked by fire several times and hurt by it. But I don't know if they've actually outright said, like, that's... Like, besides psychic attacks, that's, like, his big weakness.
0: Right. I mean, they haven't actually said it, right? But they've demonstrated yeah, they've, it several times. they've hinted times. at it. But you're right, yeah, he's, like, he's baking in that thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he just rips off one of the afterburners yeah. and throws it, throws it into the
1: sky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, speaking of John, there's something I want to mention. I thought it was really cool. Like... When they're all like, you know what, we have to end this now. There's a moment where John just like dive bombs the, one, of the, one of the stealth uh-huh. bombers. And just the slipstream created around him as he starts going supersonic. That was such okay. a cool visual. I really yep. wish they would have added in a little sonic boom. I think, there's, I think there's some sound effect around him, but like a sonic boom would have been awesome.
0: I didn't know that Jean could fly that fast.
1: Yeah, there you go. Because <laughs> we've never really seen it. You know what I mean? It's we know Superman's fast. Of course, we know the Flash is fast. We know John can fly, but speed with him has never been, never really been demonstrated.
0: This was one great epic fight. I mean, just aircraft war warfare. Oh yeah. just aw- awesome stuff. Yeah. I don't know what else I can say about it because I mean, this does take up a good. 10 minutes of the episode, I would say.
1: Oh, absolutely, and it was totally justified, too. It wasn't one of those fights that was just there for padding. You know, right. this is what everything's been leading up to. It needed to be this long. We needed, Absolute. we needed the airborne battle of the superheroes trying to take down the various fighters. We needed the water battle. You know, because the flash ran to those boats, you know, and them shooting the ships down. We needed the stuff with John and, and Savage on the plane. Everything that we saw happen, we needed to see happen. And they spent the exact right amount of time with it.
0: Absolutely. After the big, intense battle is over, the Allies have won. We go back to Berlin. And uh General Hoffman receives word that Savage and his air force have been utterly annihilated, but he insists that they must press on so in the background, this lower ranking officer asks who who will lead them now and Hoffman walks into the cryogenic chamber and he turns on a light and says, "Who indeed
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: and we see Hitler again yeah. and again again, I just I wish they had just this had been the only time we see Hitler. Mm. Because it would have been just so much eerier. Yeah. In in any case, it is still a very, very creepy scene. Oh, yeah. And back in our time, the League barely makes it through the portal before it disappears. And Though uh,
1: we don't know how. How did they come back to the future? I don't know. I don't remember when they jumped through the portal to World War II. Was the portal still swirling in the air or something? I, I don't remember if they even... No, they should. were in...
0: They were in a wrecked building. I know that because okay. Well,
1: wherever they were, I mean, was that portal there?
0: It had. It would have had to have been. But I mean, I, I know that when they arrive in France at the beginning, or in the middle of episode one, yeah. Flash has to run up, runs up this like wood plank and sees the battle going on outside. And I think that's where he says, "Great jumping hero." Okay.
1: So okay, then there we go. Then the portal is just still open somewhere randomly, I guess. Okay.
0: They get back and Flash wonders if everything is back to normal when, uh, who should appear, but Batman. The real Batman. And he says that the Watchtower sensors picked up the anomaly a couple hours ago. And, uh, Superman, yeah, Mike is, Mike this is, is giggling.
1: favorite episode, favorite moment in the whole story.
0: <laughs> Superman is overjoyed and he runs up to Batman and hugs him. Batman, it's really you. And what does Batman say? Did I miss something? Uh, am I missing something? <laughs> and Superman's Superman. like, uh, whoops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's a long story. Yeah. <laughs> Green Lantern's just in the background just nodding his head, or just shaking his head, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <Yeah. laughs> and Hawkgirl's like, you won't believe what we've been through. And bats, Bats is just like, Try me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Superman hugs Batman. It's great. <laughs> it is. Awesome. Because you can see it coming a mile away, too. You're like, yep. he's going to hug him. He's going to... And he hugged him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: oh, it's 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 pretty bad when your anchor to reality is Batman. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, the six of them leave. And I say six because Diana stands back and uh, she's looking really sad and We know why, and the last scene of the episode shows Diana going to, I believe, a Veterans Administration uh, hospital or a retirement home, Uh, because we do see several veterans uh, there.
1: Yeah, I was wondering if those three guys that were sitting around were supposed to be people. Maybe not comic book characters, but were supposed to be people – part of the production crew, you know, aged, or maybe their family or something. They, they take a second to show you those guys. And the way they're detailed, the way they're drawn, they have to be someone, I think.
0: Yeah. The orderly uh, leads Diana out to back, uh, lets her outside, and there sits on a bench the very old Steve Trevor. And uh, she walks up to him and says his name, and he turns around and looks at her, and he kind of squints his eyes, and he s- just simply says angel. And Diana sits down next to him and uh, they hold hands and that's where the episode ends.
1: Yeah, what I really liked about that closing moment was when he sees her again at the home, it's the same way he saw her when he woke up after she saved his life when he was falling. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's in the same position. I mean, she's got a different, slightly different expression because now she's, you know, she knows him. She knows who this guy is, so she's not as flat as she was before. But it's the way they called back to that that was a nice little touch yeah and of course it's a very touching ending to a pretty brutal episode all around yeah. i mean it's a fucking world war ii story i mean it's it's gonna be rough and they ended on this very tender moment that was nice
0: yeah i think that was a good way to end it too uh, just just because of how incredibly violent the entire thing was
1: so uh what were you thinking here overall
0: I really liked Phil Morris as Vandal Savage, but I, I actually think because I know he comes back twice. Okay, I was
1: uh, going to ask. I didn't remember Savage coming back.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know he comes back twice uh, in major roles, so I know how his voice sounds in future episodes, so I think this was his weakest performance, but having said that, it was still a really, really good job. That's I, I say weak and I don't, and I, that's very loosely because uh, it's still a great job. I just think his subsequent performances in uh, Maid of Honor and Hereafter are just be- that much better. Okay, okay. But, uh, like I said, it's still a fucking great job in his speeches. His speeches just sent chills down your <laughs> spine. Yeah. I mean, just overall, the voice acting here was just brilliant. Uh, Patrick Duffy uh, was... Uh, I, he was Steve Trevor, wasn't he? I don't know. I don't know. Probably. I, he did a great job as Steve Trevor. Just really brought the... The personality to him mm-hmm. that you would expect from him. He and Susan Eisenberg, who does Wonder Woman. This is this was really the first time where I think Susan Eisenberg impressed me with Wonder Woman because again, there's because they they humanized uh, Diana so well here. Just gave her uh, gave her real character, uh, real character development and and romance. They actually managed to do it and not have it be cliched or forced, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And we already mentioned the animation. the Especially during the aerial battles, the the animation was just stunning. Oh, yeah. Can't say enough about it. Really, the uh, the only thing I have to mention here is there is at least one historical inaccuracy here that I don't think you can explain through polluted time stream or whatever. Oh, what's that? Uh, and this is why I was talking about earlier. There's something that General Hoffman says. He says that the old Fuhrer might have been a little crazy, but at least he had more respect for his generals. Hitler did revere the German military but he routinely rejected the advice of his generals and this is why the Nazi war efforts were greatly diminished uh because and were just disasters uh, at many points because he just he surrounded himself with yes men all the time oh, okay and i'm sure there's there's more inaccuracies here but i just can't think of any at the top up top of my head but really besides that There are very few things you can complain about here.
1: Yeah, I mean, going through, like I, you know, I was pointing out minor things, little nitpicks, you know, niggles, but, you know, and there are a couple points where I said, like I said, with Green Lantern's ring in the beginning, where I was like, oh, that's a little convenient for the plot, and I thought there might have been the plot hole with the time machine thing, but you can kind of talk your way around them, you know? Like I said, with the Green Lantern thing, meh, maybe their spacesuits really were fucked up, and Superman couldn't push the ship, so they had GL do it. Okay, you know, the time machine thing, you convinced me maybe wasn't a plot hole. So everything else that's left are just these very minor things that don't affect the grade at all. And overall, I think this is the first one in a good long while that I would truly call epic. I honestly don't know the last DCAU cartoon that i would call epic i mean secret origin is it secret origin or origins i always
0: get confused origins i mean would you call that epic it's grand but is it epic uh it's uh, it's nowhere near the level of quality this one is yeah i mean i guess in a in a dictionary definition you could call it epic but as as fans as we are discussing this, how we are, I wouldn't put it as epic.
1: Yeah, so I you might have to go all the way back to like Return of Return the Joker, of the and then before that, World's Finest. You know, before before you you hit on something that was just this big,
0: this this world spanning. Sure, yeah, uh, absolutely nothing close to it recently.
1: What else? What else?
0: I think I've pretty much said all I can say. I'm ready to get to the grade, if you, unless until you. I mean, you know, and I'm sure you have more to say. So. No, no, I'm
1: I'm good. If if we want to get to our scores, I'm I'm good. Sure, you're gonna oh. give it a.
0: I'm giving it a ten. As a World War II history buff, my feelings are that this this three parter is really everything you could want in a World War II themed adventure. It pays such tremendous respect to this era's comic book figures like the Blackhawks, Hawks, Sergeant Rock. The, it's Steve Trevor, you know, etc. And like I said, they finally managed to humanize Diana. The, the voice acting, the animation, the music, everything. And they, again, they met, They got away with putting an albeit frozen Adolf F. Hitler into the show. Yeah, that, that was ballsy. So this gets a ten from me.
1: Yeah. I, now I, I have to I have to wonder about something, and I meant to bring it up earlier. I don't know why I thought to bring it up now, but remember when Savage gets that report that. The Justice League has taken out one of his wheelie, war machiney, tanky things. Right. He says, oh, another report. Now, are we to assume he got a report on them earlier in the day? Or do you think maybe that was a reference to the Justice Society? Because they were born out of World War II. We never see them in here, but maybe that's what he was talking about there.
0: That's a good question. I don't I didn't even think about that.
1: I mean, I'm absolutely glad they didn't bring them in here, especially because we just got Legends, which was mm-hmm. a, a love letter to the society. But maybe there was a little nod to that. Who knows? But it can be read either way. A nod to the Justice mm-hmm. Society or a nod, or not a nod, excuse me, uh, him simply saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I got a report like this two hours ago about these guys in the funny costumes. So, But anyways, on to my score. This is a 10, plain and simple. Like I said a few minutes ago, yeah, there's some nitpicks with it, but you can't ball them up into anything that resembles justifying knocking it down a point or two.
2: Are you saying that my world, my whole life, is like this because someone went back in time and changed the past? That appears to be the case. Then doing this could save my parents. I can't promise that. Will you come with us? No. If this doesn't work, someone's got to stay here and fight. You understand that if we do change the past, you, this version of you, will never have existed.
1: Nothing would make me happier. Now go. Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And remember, our new voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP0, 731 Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss three more Justice League stories, those being Twilight, Tabula Rasa, and Only a Dream. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.
0: And finally he talks about *Batman um, 4*. Uh,